Happy New Year, Jeff. It's been a hot minute. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. Yeah, you know, I, I can't believe we started this podcast almost a year ago, I think around March. And so it, you know, coming up to our one year anniversary, you know, there's been a lot of personal and professional changes for us since then. I've switched jobs and uh, you have some exciting news that you want to tell everyone. Yeah, you know, we'd love to share. So I left my job about four months ago uh, where I was a software engineer and I started my own company. So I've been doing that for three months or so. Yeah. Ooh, congrats. Uh, tell us a little more about, you know, your company, how you guys started, some of the details around there. Yeah, so the, the overall premise is we're delivering financial literacy education to elementary school age children through gamification. And we're partnering with regional banks and credit unions to produce that industry leading content and make it actually fun and interesting for kids. Uh, and, you know, I, I haven't told you this, but you're actually one of the inspirations for, for working on this, because I remember a long, long, long time ago when we first met, you talked to me about your investment portfolio. And it was around then where I was like, wow, like, I don't know anything about money. And I started thinking more about it. Well, I'm glad I could provide some inspiration. And <laughs> if this ever makes it big, I expect commensurate compensation. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Uh, no, I wish you the best. So, you know, uh, obviously, besides uh, my input, what was sort of the core reasons behind why this project stood out to you particularly? Yeah, so I always knew, or I guess, let me rephrase, I've always known that when I, you know, was going to work on a startup, it would definitely be more social enterprisey, you know, have some sort of meaningful contribution. Uh, and in addition to being a for-profit company. So it was always searching for like interesting causes to work towards. And one, one thing about startups is that it's, it's important to understand the problem space as much as possible. And for me, you know, not having amazing access to financial literacy education, like that, that was a, a pain point I personally experienced. Um, so I, that being said, it, it meant it was easier for me to, you know, understand the problem. And when I talk to parents about it, like they get it. Um, so it's, I think it's just a lot more, you know, close to heart for me. That's why I ended up picking this out. Yeah. Were there sort of alternative ideas that you were juggling around too? You know, what are some of the other things that you're considering maybe also within this social impact or social enterprise space? Yeah. I, I mean, I had a lot of other ideas that felt too nonprofit, not, you know, innovation heavy enough. Um, so I would say like ended up not really finding anything else that I was too passionate about. Um, cause I think at the end of the day, like I I'd love to work in nonprofit management in the long run, but when it comes to like hiring, you know, really smart people and all of that, like sometimes you need money to, uh, you know, bring in those talented employees. So that's why I ended up going with this. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think part of the startup experience too, is applying to a lot of these accelerator programs, applying to seed funding, applying for mentorships, things like that. So could you tell us a little bit about the process there? Are you part of an accelerator? Um, what's sort of the funding behind your venture yeah, right yeah. now? <laughs> um, so, so I'm doing Generators a Studio Cohort program for fall 2021. And basically the program takes you from really just an idea to ideally, you know, early revenue or you know, early MVP stage. 
and you know receive some pre-seed investment. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it seed investment, but super super early stage. Uh, and I, to be honest, like it's it's the reason why I ended up leaving my job. You know, I think for for a lot of young people, you know, it's not it's not easy to leave a job, especially if you don't have savings built up. Um, and I think I had, you know, saved some money through about a little over a year of work, but it definitely wasn't the type of thing where I could see myself leaving my job for, you know, a year or more just because I didn't have that money. I even now, like I, I, I'm going through this process where I'm trying to figure out, okay, like, yes, like, you know, I hope this really takes off, you know, through the accelerator and all of that. But if it doesn't, you know, I think there's, there's always the opportunity to go back into the industry and find another job. Um, but back to the original question, you know, accelerators. I think it provides a bit more structure, a lot more support. And that's, that's definitely a huge boost, right? Just like having easier access to investors, or even if you're just talking through an idea, you know, you often hear like, oh, like I know someone who does this thing, or I know an investor in this space. Uh, so it's, it's a lot easier uh, if you're able to, you know, get, get lucky enough, like, uh, like I did. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. You know, tell us a little bit about your feelings and the thoughts that went through your head when you, um, you know, started considering uh, quitting your previous job and starting this venture. I've always known you, all the years I've known you, I've always known you as, you know, a very entrepreneurial person. So I knew this was bound to happen, uh, maybe a little earlier than I expected, but I'm really yeah, happy for you <laughs> nonetheless. Um, but, you know, yeah, like, tell us a little bit about what you were thinking, the pros and cons, the considerations that you went through. Yeah, I mean, definitely earlier than expected, uh, my end as well. So, you know, super fortunate to be able to raise a little bit of money to do this. Uh, so, so for me, the, the biggest thing I was thinking about was like, how do I, you know, learn the most slash build the most career capital for, for future me? And, you know, while the company I was at was great and the team was great, I was stuck in a role that I would say wasn't, you know, a great fit for me. Uh, I kind of knew I didn't want to be a software engineer. I was hired as a product manager, ended up transitioning into a you know software role, which I you know really was not a fan of. Uh, so knowing that, I was like, okay, like there's only so much I can learn in this role. Like I would love to find some other opportunity to learn as much as possible. And it's not that you can't do that within a company, but at the end of the day, like you're gonna learn a lot more working for yourself than you are working for someone else. Um, and that was pretty much the math uh, behind it. Uh, I guess the one other thing is, you know, with student loans, like uh, not occurring interest, that was, that was huge too. I said, okay, like, I don't need to worry too much about that end. Uh, yeah. So I, I know we touched upon this question a little bit in our previous episode, actually with Hanju um, mm-hmm. around being your own boss, but, you know, could you tell me a little bit about what's it like just working by yourself, setting your own schedule? paying for yourself, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like being sort of like a one-man CEO right now? Yeah, uh, to be honest, it's like the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, let, let me, I guess, be more concrete about what that means. I think like when you have a boss, boss, like another, you know, person, it, it helps you get that like external, extrinsic motivation, right? Because you know you have deadlines, you know you have certain expectations. Uh, when it comes to like managing yourself, sometimes like, you know, if you don't feel motivated, like you got to, you know, find the time to do work anyways, or, you know, I'll get super in the weeds on in super into the weeds on something. And I'm like, oh, like I probably shouldn't have done that. But if I was working, you know, with colleagues or a manager, I might've like, you know, realized that earlier on. Uh, so I gotta say, it's like, it's, it's really freaking hard. Um, I would say that one of the biggest benefits is flexibility though. You know, what I've noticed is uh, often, 
you know, people, people work at startups often say like, oh, they work like 80 hours a week or whatever it is. Um, and it's really interesting. You know, you, for me, like I could not do that on like a Monday through Friday schedule. Like I'll find myself like, you know, offloading work on a Saturday and Sunday, you know, I'd rather work, you know, eight or nine hours, like seven days a week or whatever it is, rather than, you know, like 15 hours a day for five days. Um, and that, that I found huge, um, just like being able to like carve time out to do things. Uh, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, like you got to figure out how to balance your personal life as well. Um, so still, it's still trying to work, work that out, you know, cause sometimes like, you know, the friends are like, Oh, like we should go out, um, Saturday night. And I'm like, wow, like if I planned ahead better, you know, I'd be in, but I really got to finish this thing. Uh, so it's, it's, it's much trickier than before. Yeah. Yeah. So just, you know, entirely self-dependent, which is scary to me. I, I don't think I can do that yet. It's one of my resolutions oh, this yeah. year is to have more discipline around time management. But yeah, I, you know, I, I can't really imagine just being my own boss, my own advocate, everything just yet. Um, but it sounds like you've been figuring stuff out. So you know, yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, like it's it's been like a gradual process. You know, the first first couple of weeks, I was like, wow, like this is this is crazy. You know, like how do people stay motivated? And then I would go through phases where like I was super motivated and then would ignore everything else like, okay, like, you know, it's not, it felt very much like, oh, I was like running into the, um, running into the ground, you know, two days in a row. And then I would like really ease off the next day. And, you know, it's one of those like cliche statements, right? Like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out that good balance. So we're not there yet, but we're working (laughs) on it. Yeah, no, we'll all get there. How do you find motivation on the days that maybe you're not a little more, uh, uh, not as motivated, and you have to pick yourself up just to get the job done. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is just like, there's different types of work, you know? Uh, and for me, like as, as someone working on the technical side, like there's, there's like product development work to be done. And sometimes, you know, no matter how hard you try, you try your brain just like, isn't able to figure something out. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just, uh, do customer research instead. I'll just, you know, send 50 emails out to someone. And, uh, I'm not saying it's, it's easier, you know? But I'm saying like, sometimes you need that type of work that requires like less intense focus. And for me, it's like, you know, I'm going to reach out to some more people and it's going to pay off, you know, a week down the line uh, and lead to a ton of meetings, which will probably be a a lot more work. But in that moment, it's, it's good to just like do something different. Um, So I think varying work has been really helpful for me. And then the other thing is like planning out like blocks of time, if that makes sense. Like I am going to do a bunch of like conversations with people you know, in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I'm going to find some time, you know, to go for a run to, you know, do all those like self-care kind of things. And then afterwards, I'm going to write code, you know, like being able to block out time like that is awesome. Uh, Which is coincidentally why I'm not a fan of uh, Calendly, you know, how you can, you can get someone else to book time on your calendar. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I'm like, okay, like, I would love to only meet in this certain time block, you know, not Mm -hmm. outside of that. (laughs) Right, Um, right. But yeah, yeah. What do you think are the two biggest learnings you've had in your experience so far um, and with, with your startup, if there are? Yeah. Um, well, first off, like there's, there's a ton of learnings. Cause like every time you make a mistake, you're like, wow, like I wish I had done that differently. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's just the way life is. Right. And later startups will probably be easier than, you know, the first startup you work, you're working at probably the, the first thing I would say is like the, the benefits are just like putting yourself out there. You know, there's like, 
community meetup things for the you know Birmingham's tech community. There's really just like cold emailing and getting intro intros to people. There's you know using the resources at the accelerator. There's like leaning on friends who might be more well connected. There's like random networking groups that I'm in, and I you know I hate the idea of like networking for for networking's sake, right? Um, but I think if you go out there with like the mindset of like trying to meet interesting people, there's sometimes like you're, you're chatting and someone's like, oh, like I know someone who would be amazing for you to talk to. And that person will be able to give you useful feedback on your product or something like that. Um, so, you know, getting your ideas out there uh, and talking to people is absolutely huge, uh, which I think is like a bit unintuitive because when I started, I was like, oh, well, what if they just go and build this thing, um, you know, and they build it better than I can. Uh, and it turns out like that's like, people, that's not what people do, you know, everyone's got their own thing going on, and they might not see the same, you know, whatever inspires you, yeah, so that, that doesn't really happen, um, and I would say the other thing is, like, look for a co-founder type figure as early as possible, so I'm working with a few people now, and just about close to bringing on a CTO, but I think, like, having, if I had made that decision earlier, it probably would have alleviated a lot of pain, uh, just because, you know, working by yourself is tougher than working in a group of two or group of three or whatever that is. Yeah, for sure. What, what do you, what do you think is the ideal team size for you this year? Do you want to grow your team out more? Do you want to stick to this two person squad? <laughs> um, I've got two, two other people I'm that are working part-time with me. Uh, so about 10 to 20 hours a week, one's doing 10, one's doing 20. Uh, so they're helping, but I, I think like a two person team for like the next couple of months, just like really get the development work done. And then after that, you know, maybe it's July or something, then like bringing on someone in sales. Uh, but I think, you know, kind of there's, there's a lot of work to be done before hiring people, uh, unfortunately, because it'd be nice to just say like, oh, I'm going to offload all this work. Uh, but you know, there's not quite enough money out there yet. <laughs> for sure. You got to build out the foundation first, which sort of, you know, reminds me. I think it's one thing to have an idea for a startup, which obviously is the most important part, but then execution's the other half of it, right? So yes. what was your process of just even getting started on how to organize yourself around what are the steps in executing on your vision? Like, is it, you know, getting funding first, finding a team first, uh, product vision first? Like, how did you organize your thoughts there? Yeah. Dude, that's a good question. And honestly, I, I wish I had done this in a different order, but um, so I was fortunate enough to get the funding and then quit my job in that order. So I kind of had this idea in my head already. Uh, so what I did first was work on product vision and how I did that was just like, I took what I had, you know, made a presentation threw threw together a couple of quick like designs on Figma. And then I just started emailing people and it was like parents, it was schools it was community organizations and I said like hey this is my idea what do you think can you give me some feedback how do my designs look do you think this even makes sense and that was really helpful you know getting like hearing about like oh like you know probably one thing was like oh like the age group you're you're trying to focus on not everyone in that age group like knows how to read I'm like oh well that's interesting <laughs> or like another one was like um you know when I was talking about like building uh, vid heavy video based content uh, one of the big pieces of feedback I got was like, okay, but not everyone has like great access to, you know, high quality internet. So maybe you want to think about like another approach. And there was a lot of good feedback like that, uh, which helped me focus in on like the actual product and then what the exact initial target customer would be. Um, but I would say in doing so, I kind of neglected the building out the team side. 
So definitely trying to make up for that right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. I think that's actually a good transition into the specifics of your product, actually. So, I, you know, I know you mentioned it's right now envisioned as an app for financial literacy uh, for mm-hmm. young children, especially. Yeah. Uh, what does that really look like? Like, is it like a game on the app store? Is it mobile? Is it on the desktop? Like, what, what's the uh, format here? Yeah, so we're currently building out uh, the mobile app uh, for, for both iOS and Android. And I would say it's probably the app it's most similar to is Duolingo. And we're relying heavily on like the gamified elements of an app like that, while also like leaning into the lesson side. So, you know, Duolingo has a lot of heavy text-based lessons. We're relying a lot more on like, okay, like you're going to count coins or you're going to, you know, click the logos and understand, uh, kind of learn about money that way. So um, I would say it's about half lesson style, very low text lessons, um, and half, you know, more, more gamey type things. Uh, so like the sorting coins or something like that, uh, is one of the ones we're building out. Uh, and the, the thought process here is really, uh, it really came from just talking to parents, you know, understanding what their kids liked and seeing whether apps in the world existed that were similar to this space. Yeah. And are you targeting a similar business model as Duolingo as well? Sort of like a freemium model where kids can play initially and then to unlock more content or to speed up their progress or you know, anything like that, they start buying in-store purchases. Yeah, that's that's the initial thought process. I think it'll take some time to figure out exactly what makes the most sense. You know, a subscription model, like, you know, venture capital funds love that, right? It just means you're always bringing in money uh, if you got a bunch of people on your premium version. Uh, but there's also potential for, you know, when we're partnering with these local banks, like maybe we can get a referral fee from them when, you know, kids sign up uh, for a savings account. Or maybe, uh, I think this will require some more work, especially because the, the target market is kids, but you know, dealing also does ads, right? Um, so definitely will require some more thinking on like how how that'll work out. Uh, but I think in the long run, like, yeah, those, those are some of the ideas we're, we're playing around with. Yeah. Uh, I think the tricky part is like, you know, if we want everyone to have access to an app like this, uh, it's, you know, the, the free version can't be that limited, if that makes sense. You know, it's gotta, it's gotta be pretty darn good to get people in the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think what complicates things is that unlike Duolingo, where the target market are more or less adults, or at the very least, mm-hmm. young adults that have some form of spending money, uh, right. you know, your target audience is actually kids, mm-hmm. whereas your customers are probably, you know, adults, like, because they're the ones that would buy like the parents, you know, premium content, yeah. right, yeah. right, if anything, but, you know, how do you juggle that, where, you know, your audience are these children, but your customers are, you know, the parents or grandparents or guardians or anything like that. So, you know, the marketing is a little different, right? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a tough one. I think the way we're going to do this is really just get the product in front of people and figure out what works. Uh, so even now, like when I'm running marketing campaigns, I'm you know, running some, looking at grandparents and seeing if that works, running some, working with parents and seeing like if that sticks. Uh, and then on the product side, uh, we've got a bunch of pilot programs lined up for February. We're just demoing it in some classes, uh, all different grades to see what's what's most effective. Uh, and I kind of just want to see like what people are interested in because we, we have a few different types of lessons and it might be that, you know, some of the ideas we have, we're just totally barking up the wrong tree, right? Uh, it's not useful content. So uh, I think it's a classic startup approach, just to, like get the product in front of people, you know, 
try to market to a bunch of different types of people and see what happens. So I wish I had a better answer for you, but to be honest, like we don't, we don't know yet what will happen. No, honestly, I think sometimes you really just got to try things and see what sticks. You know, I don't yeah. think anyone has the answer when it comes to you know specific niches like that. Yeah. Um, I would say oh, the one last thing is like, sometimes I find myself like asking people for advice all the time. And then I'm like, wow, like I should have just like gone out there and tried a bunch of different things. Um, cause often you get conflicting advice and then you're like, oh, like who do, who do I actually listen to? And the answer is like, everyone's got different expertise in different industries and often they don't know exactly, you know, the situation you find yourself in. So sometimes you just have to figure things out. Um, yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think that's the startup experience anywhere. Um, It's actually interesting that you mentioned your partnerships with local banks. So Mm -hmm. what was the impetus there? You know, why do you start with local banks first in terms of rolling out this app? Yeah. So this was actually a fairly new piece of the, the whole, the whole puzzle. And actually it came because I started talking to someone who you know, worked at uh, one of the biggest black owned banks in Birmingham. And he, he asked me like, Oh, like, can I help? Can I invest? You know, like, what can I do for you? And I said, Oh, well, that's interesting. Like I am not looking for money, but you can definitely help. You know, you can look at the content we have, like, is this useful? Um, because he had, you know, he had taught financial literacy to people in Birmingham before uh, and, and kids. So that kind of was the initial reaction. I said, okay, like maybe I can, you know, lean more heavily on people who work in financial uh, institutions. And then the more I talked to, to, to commercial banks and especially the, the local banks and credit unions, the more, you know, they, they've got the Community Reinvestment Act. So they're actually incentivized to work on projects like this. Uh, and a lot of them are just like really passionate people, you know, interested in this type of thing. Like they, uh, for instance, like one of the banks in the area, like runs programs with recently incarcerated people or veterans. So it's just like, it, it's a topic that they care more about uh, on average, I would say. Um, so I think it was a good alignment of incentives, which to me feels weird because, you know, as, as just like a, a young person, I was like, I was always like pretty skeptical of banks and I'm like, oh, like, you know, the, the banks are trying to charge you fees. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, there, there are some good people out there who are interested in helping. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like especially local banks and community banks and things like that, they're more built for the, I mean, local community, right? It's, it's yeah. less of a direct corporation, like the mega banks that you, you see yeah. in the US. I mean, to be totally honest, so this isn't scientifically backed or anything, but it feels like the less tech savvy the bank, the more interested they were. You know, like when the bank didn't have a mobile app at all, it seemed like they were really interested. Or if the bank had like a mobile app, but it wasn't great, they seemed like they were pretty interested. But then the more like tech, you know, enablement they had, the more they were like, oh, like, you know, let's, let's talk when you have a product, you know? <laughs> mm. Why do you uh, think that is? Yeah. Is it just because more tech savvy banks feel like you're competing with them or they just don't have the, 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 the mind share to deal with you right now? Like, yeah, uh, I would say probably a combination, you know, uh, it might be just they're, they're a bit bigger. So they've got a lot of other things going on. You know, they've got an in-house tech team. So maybe they've already got people working on something like this. Uh, but for the banks that, you know, one of the, one of the good banks I've been working with, they, they don't have a mobile app at all and they run community programs, but there's, it's like not very scalable. Right. And because of that, they said, wow, like we, we'd love to get involved here. Um, so that's just the way it was. Yeah. Right. Right. So I have one final question for you as a newly minted founder. What is your vision for your company in the next, let's say, two years? 
you know, where would you want to see uh, GrowSafe go to in two years? Yeah. So hoping to get the product out there for five to seven-year-old kids uh, early this year, probably February or so. And then later in the year, we'd love to get like another iteration of the product out for older and older kids you know, with more partnerships with banks. So, you know, maybe we could white label content. So, you know, the, the banks are sponsoring content or sponsoring awards or something like that. Um, but the, the, the long-term vision, you know, maybe this is longer than two years out is for a platform where uh, you spend some time on and, you know, it's not like Duolingo where you need to use it every day, right? But it's a good resource to rely on at, at every stage of your life. So maybe there's a young adult version where, you know, I'm, uh, I'm looking for like auto insurance for the first time. And I probably should know a bit more about that. And I probably should think about, uh, you know, if I'm buying a car, like how do I, any thoughts on negotiation? And, you know, there's a lot of like different pieces that, that are important throughout the rest of our lives. And would love to get to the point where there's like this little, a little bit of help for, for everyone kind of as you go. Um, but, you know, we're a long way from talking about mortgages and all of that for now. So, uh, <laughs> but that, that, that is the long-term vision. Yeah. Yeah. I, I expect great things going ahead and I can't wait to see all the progress you make this year as well. So, you know, I, I think we'll revisit your company in a six month time or end of the year, and you're going to have the greatest updates. Dude, fingers crossed, man. <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> Thank you. I, I believe in you. Um, well, you know, here's to our first episode of 2022. Here's to more episodes ahead. Um, yeah. And I'm glad that you still have find the time to do this podcast with me. Yeah, thanks. Excited to share more amazing experiences with you.